It is a joy to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. If we have not met, my name is David and I serve as the senior pastor here. And I want to say thank you uh, for giving me the chance to share with you today. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to two passages of Scripture. The first is James chapter 2 and the second is Ephesians chapter 2. If by chance you did not bring your Bible, there are blue Bibles available in all of our worship spaces and you will find these two passages on uh, these pages. James 2, page page 1880 and Ephesians 2, page 1816. We'll begin with James 2, but you might want to find both of those uh, as we begin today. We started a new series last week, Big God, Big Heart, and we located this series within an emphasis that we have been sharing together for many years, an expression of how big we believe God is. For many years, you have been sharing... uh, these bracelets, which are an expression of our faith, our belief that God is big enough for any and all circumstances that we face in our lives. For years, you have shared these with family and friends and neighbors and co-workers and lots and lots of strangers that you have felt compelled to share this expression of faith with. I shared with you last week that for many, uh, for, for quite some time, we tried to keep up with you in this and then you just got way out of hand. I have no idea how many of these bracelets that you have shared all around our country and literally all around the world. And this series is built upon that, looking at a very specific emphasis, uh, the idea that we believe in a big God, we believe in a big God who has a big heart. Uh, and, and part of what we said is that this expression, this, these, these four words, while they are new, uh, they represent who you are as a family of faith, that you are a church that believes in a big God and you are a church that believes in a big heart. And you live that way and live that out in countless ways each and every day in the way that you give and you serve and you love those in our local communities, surrounding communities and people around the world. Uh, Many of you have heard me share this before, but it's uh, appropriate in the context of this series. Uh, We have a gathering in our church called Starting Point, and and the purpose of Starting Point is to give to people who want to make a membership commitment to our church a chance to do that, but also to hear more about what that commitment means. It's sort of like instead of pre-marriage counseling, this is like pre-membership counseling, okay? Except you don't have to share any of your feelings, so don't be scared if you're thinking about coming. But in the context of that, the reason we do that is because we believe that if you're going to make a commitment, you should know what you're committing to. And one of the things that I share with people who are thinking about making a membership commitment to this church, uh, I share with them that if you don't see uh, serving and sacrifice as central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you should not join this church because we will annoy you. We will annoy you. It will not be a fun experience for you because this is central to how we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We, we, we talk, we live into this idea of a big God, a big heart, and we talk about living that out in the world around us. We are a church that gathers each and every week and we pray the prayer, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And we are a church that when the service ends and we go out, we go out with this understanding that God has called us to be the fulfillment of that prayer, to be people who work and live and give towards that kingdom coming and that will being done. You are a church that lives that out. 
And so for those who are coming in, for those who are thinking about committing, I want them to know what they're committing to. And so I say, if that's not, if that's not where you are, if you'd, if you'd just rather have a church that you know, would just say some nice things and make you feel better and then send you home, this is not that church. Because this is a church that, that is willing at all times to roll up our sleeves and, and to get to work, do what we need to do for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Now, as you think about that, that may raise for you a question. A question that you may have, you may have heard others ask, a question that I am asked on a fairly regular basis as people are trying to figure out what does it exactly mean to be a, a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to really live out an authentic expression of the Christian faith? This is another one of those questions that takes on many different forms, but it essentially looks like this. Is it more important to believe the right things or do the right things? Which is more important? Is it more important that you believe the right things or is it more important that you do the right things? Again, it's a common question that, that people might ask of the pastor. It might be a question that people have asked of you. It might be a question that you yourself at some point in your life or maybe still today, you may have asked. Which is more important? Is it more important to believe the right things or is it more important to do the right things? And what we're gonna look at today are two passages of scripture that at first glance may seem to be on opposite sides of that question. And we're gonna look at uh, what does it mean and what, is the script, what do the scriptures say about this question? Which is it that is more important? Which it is, is it that is more vital to an authentic expression of following Jesus? Is it more important that you believe the right things or is it more important that you do the right things? So we're gonna begin with James chapter two uh, and I'm gonna read to you verses 14 through 18. So, so listen first to what James says uh, as we think about this question. Which of these two things is more important? Here's what, here's what James says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Show me your faith without works and I by my works will show you my faith. So there's James' uh, uh, perspective on, on this question. James talks about faith that is not expressed in real action. Faith, that, that kind of faith, James says, it's not real faith. It's faith that is dead. It is a faith that lacks the, the, the real substance uh, of what following Jesus is all about. But, but you take this idea and then we turn to Ephesians chapter 2. So go ahead and flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses there. This is a, a passage that many of you may already know. This may be words that you have memorized. And she, so you may already know where this is going a little bit. Here, here's what Ephesians says. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So on one hand, you have James over here. And what James is saying is that faith without works is dead. That faith that does not express itself, that faith that does not live out uh, itself in real action, in real changed behavior and changed lives, that kind of faith is dead. And then you have Paul on the other side saying, well, well, yeah, but, but it is grace that saves us. And the grace that saves us is wholly a gift of God. It doesn't come from ourselves and it isn't made available because of anything that we do, anything that we might give to earn or, or, or uh, make ourselves worthy of this gift that God has given to us. And, and so we come, you come back to this question, what, well, which, which is it? Is it more important to believe the right things, to believe that we are saved by grace alone, or is it, or is it more important, like, would we lean more towards what James says? Is it, is it more important that we do the right things? And here's the answer. Okay, so if you've ever wanted this question, if you've ever had anyone ask you this question, I'm going to give you the answer. So you may want to write this down because this is going to be so profound. It's going to change your life. Which is more important? Here's the answer. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It is important. It is central to an appropriate understanding of the Christian faith to understand that we are saved by grace alone. There's nothing that any of us can do to earn or or make ourselves worthy of the gift that God has made available for us. It is a gift that is freely given because of God's grace and God's love for each and every one of us and for God's great love for the world. This belief is essential to a proper understanding of the Christian faith. An acceptance of that belief, uh, an awareness that this is not anything that any of us have done, that is core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But equally true and equally important and equally consistently affirmed in the scriptures but also in the lives of our spiritual ancestors is this, that faith that is not expressed in living action isn't really faith at all. Faith is, is, is meant to be lived out. One of the ways that we know that, that faith has really begun to take root in our life is because of the way that it begins to be expressed and the way that we live our lives. The answer is yes. It's not either or, it's not this or that, it's, It's both, both are essential. Both are essential to understanding what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. You might think of it this way, that one of these is the root of faith and the other is the fruit of faith. And and faith, faith that is properly rooted is faith that bears fruit. What's the root of faith? The root of faith is this, that we are saved by grace alone. Faith cannot grow from any other place than that. That this gift that has been made available for us is a gift that is given to us out of God's great love for each and every one of us and God's great love for the world. 
But the fruit of faith, the fruit of faith that is properly rooted is is faith that bears itself out in changed behavior, in changing the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we speak, the way that we respond. There is meant to be some fruit to the faith that we have, an expression of that in our living and over the course of our lives as we share life with Jesus. As we live into what he invites us to do in John 15, as we abide in him, seeing him as the vine and each of us as the branches that bring forth the life only from being connected to that vine, that faith in that way of living expresses itself in changed lives. And the distinctiveness of that life that we are living, it grows more and more clear as we continue to live our lives with Jesus. And God's spirit lives in us and changes us and grows us and helps us to understand what it means to have a faith that isn't dead, that isn't empty, that isn't without action, but a faith that is properly rooted in a faith that bears fruit. So when you think about what that root is, What does it mean to be properly rooted in faith when you think about being saved by grace and by grace alone? Part of what you recognize is this, that central to the heart of faith is the conviction that Christ did not come in order to enhance your already put together life. The message of the cross is not that everything seems to be going okay down here, but that the creator of the world has a few suggestions to offer. If you're really gonna hear the message of the cross, you have to remember the warnings that Jesus offered while he was on the way to the cross. The warnings which were disaster is coming. There's a cliff and you're heading to it at a speed that will not allow you to stop yourself. And you need someone to rescue you. And without, without someone intervening, without someone coming to to stand in the way of the disaster that is coming, without a savior who would reach down and rescue you from you. There is no hope because there's a cliff that is approaching and you need a savior. I love the way that uh, that N.T. Wright expresses it, that faith, there's two ways of seeing faith. Faith as either a kind of spiritual enhancement to your ordinary life or to see faith as a radical rescue from a life of imminent disaster. The message of the cross is that we need saving. And for anyone who who maintains the idea that there really isn't anything wrong with humanity and the world seems to be getting along just fine, for anyone who, who doesn't Uh, understand that Jesus desires to be more than simply a life coach who who helps us with certain problems along the way while we ourselves feel like we can handle the rest of our life and we'll be okay. Faith will always be peculiar until you understand that 
We are people in need of rescue. We are people in need of saving. We are people in need of a savior. And in Jesus, one has come. That's the root of faith. And faith that is rooted there is faith that bears fruit. Here's here's how you might say it. When the heart of God, which the heart of God you might think of is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. You're saved by grace alone. God's gift for you. When the heart of God meets the heart of faith, that faith without works is dead, what you find at that intersection is the kingdom of God. When those two things collide, a proper understanding of the heart of God and a life that that has really captured the heart of faith, when you find yourself at that intersection, what you find is the kingdom of God, the place where God's will is done. The place where we find the kingdom of God present and it is the place where we find the kingdom of God on the move. In the lives of women and men who have come to a proper understanding of the heart of God and because of that proper understanding of the heart of God, they have grabbed hold of what is really at the heart of faith, which is faith expressed in their life through love. Now, because I want to make sure that this is not just some abstract lesson for you. This is not just some intellectual exercise that we go, oh, okay, that makes sense to me how these two passages get together. I want to to share with you what that looks like. I I want you to leave today with a picture of what it looks like when the heart of God meets the heart of faith and in that place where we see the kingdom of God. And what I want to share with you, these are not my stories, these are your stories. These are stories of individuals in your church who uh, have lived at the intersection of the heart of God and the heart of faith. And because of their understanding of that, because of the faith that has been nurtured and grown from that, in their lives we see the kingdom of God present and on the move. The kingdom of God coming into the world through the activity of the life that they are living because of the faith they have in Jesus. These are your stories. And by the way, these are stories that are not hard to come by. In fact, in the first draft of the sermon, I mean, we were going to be here for about four hours. So I had to trim it down. I'm just going to tell you two stories, two stories that represent hundreds of others of, of individuals in our family of faith who understand the heart of God, who are living out the heart of faith and in their life we are seeing, we're seeing the kingdom of God. If you wanna know why this church is what it is today, there are a few people in our church who you could blame for that. Because of the faith and confidence that they had many, many years ago that this church could one day be what it is today, we are in fact who we are today. They're the ones that you should blame for why we are who we are today. Two of those individuals are John and Debbie Key, who have been a part of this church family for for many decades, been a part of the Mansfield community for many decades. They moved here in 1985. They've seen this church experience dramatic transformation over the course of that time. And as you might imagine, they themselves have experienced dramatic change in their life over the course of that time as well. 
This week I got together with John and Debbie because I wanted to hear more about a story that they had started to tell me in the last conversation that we had about another story that I wanted them to tell me about this church and, and how it came to where it was and how their own life had changed as a result of their participation in this church. And what I wanted to hear more about was what John was beginning to tell me, uh, which was about his friend Freddie. Freddie was a gentleman that John met while he was at Feed by Grace many, many years ago. If you don't know what Feed by Grace is, it's a homeless ministry that we participate in. We go once a month on Saturdays to Unity Park in Fort Worth, feeding the homeless, sharing a meal with them. And John and Debbie have been a part of that for quite some time. But John went that day uh, and what preceded his experience that day was he felt God calling him to be a mentor for someone in his life. And John didn't know what that looked like. He didn't know who that was. He didn't know if that was someone at work or, or, or a younger person in the church. He just had the sense that God was calling him to intentionally mentor someone in his life. So he's there at Unity Park. He's there with Feet by Grace. And he meets a man named Freddie. And in John's words, what happened that day was he heard God say him. The next week, John went back to Feed by Grace. And in the conversation that ensued, John invited Freddie. He asked him if he'd, like a, if he'd like a job doing some work at John and Debbie's house. Freddie said yes. And so what happened next is they set up plans and Freddie made that initial trip with John to their house. And, 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 in, and in their beautiful yard, Debbie's an incredible gardener. Uh, Freddie went to work with Debbie and working on their house. And, and what occurred next uh, over the course of many, many years, for the next five to six years, three to four days a week, this is what would happen. John would get in his car and he would drive into Fort Worth and he would pick up Freddie. And first thing that John and Freddie would do is they would go get breakfast together. And over the course of that meal, it was not only a time to make sure that Freddie had some good food in his belly, but it was a time for John and Freddie to simply spend time together and to, to share life with one another, to learn about one another, and over the course of that time to become friends. They'd come back to John and Debbie's house, and Freddie and Debbie would work in the yard most of the day. They would have a lunch together, and then later in the afternoon, John would take Freddie home three or four days a week for five to six years. This was the pattern of life in which they lived. In the course of that time, uh, at a banquet that was provided by Feed by Grace, Freddie got the chance to share his story. And in the context of sharing that story, he here's what Freddie said. Freddie said, John Key saved my life. John didn't tell me that, Debbie did. But when I asked John about that, when I asked John what, what it was like to hear Freddie express that, John, John, John said this, he said, I can't say that he has benefited from our friendship any more than I have. The question I asked John was this, what was it, what was it about that day that, that, that made you make that decision? What was it about that, that experience in your life that led to this, this relationship? And, and, and at first John said, well, you know, I'd come to a place in my life where I had a little bit more time on my hands and I could, you know, I could invest in something like that. And I, I, I kind of pushed back on that. I said, you know what? I don't think that's the right answer. <laughs> I said, what, what, what was it, John? What, what was different that day than the other times that you had been? What, what did you know at that stage of your life that maybe you didn't know at an earlier stage of your life? And here's what John said as he thought about it. He spent a moment and he, he, said, he, he said this, 
earlier in my life, I'm not sure I would have heard God say that. Not that God hadn't been saying it, but that he had come to a place in his life where he could hear that God was saying to him, him, he's the one. He's the one I want you to bless. He's the one I want you to serve. Marshall and Melinda Bridges are two others that we could blame for why the church is what it is today. Uh, Marshall, if, if you know Marshall, he is an incredible craftsman. He's, he's one who, with his own two hands, can, can, can build and create beautiful and amazing things, including homes that he's built for his family, uh, the home in which he lives right now. I remember my first mission trip with Marshall. One of the things that he expressed to me is that when he first started going on mission trips, he really didn't get it. Uh, because you see, Marshall as a master craftsman kind of struggled with the whole idea of working with junior high and high school students. So you can imagine this, right? I mean, it was about the work and getting the work done and having the work done absolutely perfectly. But, uh, but what Marshall didn't understand, he expressed to me and expressed to many others in the very beginning, he didn't understand that it was not only about the work, but it was also about the people. It was about spending time with the people. It was about engaging with them. It wasn't about how perfect the work was. It was about it was about being with the people who you were serving, not only improving their lives and in the project that they were working on, but also by sharing life with them and hearing their stories and spending time with them. Uh, Marshall was a part of the trip uh, that went this last January to Mexico to deliver wheelchairs. They went to take those wheelchairs and to also do some repair on the home uh, that is uh, uh, run by the ministry that we are partners with, that, that cares for the disabled, provides home for the disabled. And when our team arrived, they were told about a, a young man in that uh, uh, community, in that home, who had recently had both of his legs amputated. And the, the team heard about that, uh, how, how tragic, of course, this experience was, but what this man's life had become as a result of this dramatic change in his life, that he spent every day alone in his room, wouldn't come out, didn't want to engage with any of the other residents. He sat there in the dark all day long, just watched TV. And, and what the, the leaders of the home asked of our team was this, would, would one of you be willing to work with him uh, yeah, they, one of the projects was the, a large project of laying tile, and, and they felt like that if, that if he could engage in work, that maybe he could find some meaning and value. And over the course of that week, that young man spent the entire week with Marshall on the floor laying tile. Uh, Teresa Sherwood, who's our global missions director, uh, asked her about this story, and she shared with me that after the team had returned several weeks later, uh, one of the things that was reported uh, to her from the leaders of the home uh, was that this, this young man had finished the tile job, uh, the, the rest of the work that was left after our team had to come home. And not only had he finished the work, but he was no longer spending every day alone in the dark in his room. But he had started engaging with the other residents in the community that he had, he had experienced something brand new in his life because Marshall spent a week with him on the floor laying tile and giving him something that he could do that could begin the process of restoring the dignity that he felt like he had lost in his life. Here's what Teresa said about her friend Marshall. 
She said, Marshall does not think of his skills as the same as a therapist, a physical therapist or a pastor. But over the years, I have seen him on numerous occasions express his love for people through the work of his hands. He repaired plumbing in Mexico and then carried a paralyzed man to his shower. I watched him build a library for kids in an orphanage. When Marshall's father passed away, his hands carefully and lovingly crafted a beautiful wooden casket for his dad. Marshall is someone who does not always value his skill as a vehicle of compassion, but I have on numerous occasions seen him tearfully loving others through his ability to improve their lives. There are so many more stories, so many more stories that I could tell. And in hearing them, each of them are beautiful expressions of the fruit of faith. But we would be remiss, we would be remissing something very significant if we did not understand them as stories coming from the lives of those who are connected to the root of what faith really is. There is a why. There is a why behind what we do. And it isn't, it isn't that Jesus has come and made our life a little bit better. It's that we believe that Jesus has rescued us from a life of complete emptiness, a life that was headed for disaster. It's because that we believe by faith that we have been given the gift of a new life, meaning and value in the life we live here but a life that lives on in eternity because we are connected to the one who has saved us. And if you believe that, if you believe that where the heart of God meets the heart of faith, we find the kingdom of God, if you believe in a big God who has a big heart and out of that belief, you believe that faith, real faith is one that is lived out in expressions of sacrifice and serving and love. I want to challenge you in two ways. The first thing I want to challenge you with is this. Don't grow discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in the midst of, of giving and sharing and, and waiting for something better to come for those who you serve and those who you love. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose a sense of what it means to be rescued. That you yourselves, your life has meaning and value and purpose and significance, not because of anything you have done, but because of Christ has done for you. And if you believe that, if you believe that, not only don't lose heart, but don't forget that every single day, as you think about what your life will be and what that day ahead will bring, don't forget that every single day we offer our heart and our life back to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, open my eyes, unplug my ears, help me to be for others the grace that you have been for me. Help me to never forget what it's like to be rescued. Help me to never think that because you have rescued me, I've become something more than I was before. Help me to never forget that who I am and what my life really means is only made possible because of you. Don't forget that every single day we say again, God, I want to express my faith and love and service to others. And maybe today is the day where you challenge me to do that in a very new way that I had never thought of before.
But God, don't ever let me forget that my life belongs to you. And because you are Savior, you are Lord. Lead me. Lead me to serve you as a big God who has a big heart. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for the many stories that we have heard, the many expressions of faith that we have had the privilege to see lived out, for the reminder they offer to us that these two truths, they're not either or, they're both and. You call us to be people who understand, to believe the right things, to know that grace, grace is your gift. And also, Lord, to be people who live that out and change lives and in change behavior and expressions of the same grace that you have offered to us. Thank you, God, for blessing us as a family of faith with so many witnesses who have shown us what it's really all about. Help us, God, as your people to continue that legacy of a church that believes in a big God and a big heart. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.